You know, this uh, book of Revelation, how many of you have started digging in for yourself and not just waiting for the pastor? This is great. I would like to see more hands in the next few weeks because from here on out, it gets harder and I need some others to be standing with me and digging with me. We're looking for gold and treasure. So I would like to really encourage you to open the last book in your Bible and begin to dig and find things that even your pastor might not even know. Okay? And I may just call on some of you to share that. I'm just not trying to scare you, but to warn you. And that's what Revelation is all about. It's to bring us to a place of seeking the truth and trying to understand it for ourselves, asking the Holy Spirit to help us. Because this book is vital to our future. What is written is what we all will experience. And unfortunately, in one way or another, because this is the consummation. This is the complete story of humanity as we know it. And we're about to enter into something that has never been in the universe. When God created the world, he said, let there be light. And there was light. When he created a redeemed people, his heart, his word was drawing us and drawing us until we would come to that place of repentance. It wasn't like that. The process was one step at a time. The redemption was finished when Jesus said, it is finished. But basically, that was the start for every human being that ever breathed. From those before the cross in the Old Testament, and for us after the cross. And yet, our redemption is continuing until that day in which we are lifted up and we are made to be around the throne. So we need to get used to finding out things because you know what? What I think, and I think it coincides with scripture, we are going to spend eternity discovering who and what God has made, who God is. That will be our, not pastime, that will be our life. Living with him in perfectness, in unity, doing his will, not because we will to do it, but because of how he has restructured, redeemed our hearts from brokenness to complete perfection in what he had intended in the first place. The revelation of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has revealed to us, the understanding that he imparts to us of who he is and where he's taking humanity. And this morning we're looking at chapter 10 
the challenge of the gospel. The gospel is a challenge. The gospel, what does the gospel mean? It's the good news, basically. But this gospel is not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is the whole counsel and word of God. And so we will spend eternity living in, imbibing, drinking in, basking in, in fact, entering into the perfect, perfect, perfect will of God for what he had for humanity. Can you get your mind to think on that level? We're so earthbound, we're so caught, but we need to get more involved in expectation and our hope and looking forward because our everyday lives are involved in, well, I've got to fix this or I've got to do this and I've... It's not going to be like that. We'll be complete people, not having to deal with our junk. And I don't know what it's going to be. I know what I would like it to be and I have a sneaking suspicion he's going to give me wings. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's read this as we have read and will continue to read all the way through this book. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Amen. Revelation 10, 1 to 11. This is in the ESV, English Standard Version. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, 
my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. May the Lord give us understanding and show us the way through this scripture. The challenge of the gospel, number one is its sweetness in verses one to seven. And number two in our outline, it is bitter in verses eight to 10. And then concluding what this means, what the challenge is in verse 11. This morning it is my prayer that this part of the book of Revelation will be as practical and relevant to our lives as we progress into the more challenging passages of this fascinating book. There is so much here that we can apply to our lives right now, and there is much more that we will need to understand as the Lord teaches us and leads us as believers in Jesus Christ. I've titled it, the challenge of the gospel, because the gospel is a challenge, both for the messenger as well as to the receiver. There are two effects in sharing and living out the gospel. The sweetness of sharing the gospel and the bitterness of the gospel not being received. It is a challenge. Let's uh, seek to understand this. Lord, give us insight, we pray. Just to reiterate, when John saw this angel, it says, then I saw another mighty angel. It was wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, his face was like sun, his legs like pillars of fire, a little scroll open in his hand, his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He called out with a voice like a roaring lion. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. I spent probably a good part of the first of this week just trying to get my head around these three verses and trying to come up with understanding what does this mean? What is John talking about? What did he see? What did he understand in the description that he gave? First of all, the first thing he says, I saw another mighty angel. And listening and, and reading the description of this mighty angel, we might jump to the conclusion, oh, I know, I know the answer. It's Jesus. I don't think so. What is being described here is not Jesus. You have to look at the word another. There isn't another Jesus, right? So this angel that John is describing must be a very special angel. And I think there's things that we don't know about the heavenly makeup and what heaven is about, but we do know that there were some very special angels and there was actually also uh, categories or levels of power and style and what their jobs were. 
So I think this another is not Jesus. And even as we look at the description of this angel, we see that God has placed him in a very strategic place, particularly in the end times. And I think that it has to do with the sweetness of the gospel. You know, one of the things that's happening, I don't hear it so much anymore in these last few years, but for a while there, there was a lot of revelation in the Muslim world about dreams and Islamic people seeing someone that looked like Jesus, but spoke about Jesus. And many of them came to faith, true faith in Jesus Christ. I tend to believe those reports that God is so desirous of us to understand and to come into his kingdom. He has some very special angels that he has as messengers to go out and to reach those unreached people. Now that might sound like, oh, okay, then I'm off the hook. I don't have to go with Operation Mobilization to cross the, the world and around the world by ship. Just let God send an angel and people will see and understand. No, God wants to share the good news with all of us so that we are involved, those who are redeemed, those who have tasted of the salvation of God. The gospel is our responsibility. He's given it as a command to us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, whether they believe or not. That is our task. That is our calling. That is our purpose, I believe, for being redeemed and by being sent. Every one of us, it's not just for me as a pastor, as a missionary. Yes, I have a heavy responsibility here, but so do you. Every one of you who know Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility for the faith and for the future of your relatives, your friends, those who you ride on the train every day down to the office, those who you know and have met, you love. We have a responsibility. It's like I have five loaves and two fish, and my mom packed it for me, and I'm going to go out and see this man they call Jesus. What? What was in the heart of this little boy with that lunch? God wants to do the same thing in our lives. He's given us so much. Just share a half a fish with someone and a piece of bread. It'll bring sweetness to you. The gospel does that. That's the nature of the gospel, is to bring to us a sweetness, an understanding that we are partakers of the gospel and are sent to share this among the world. When the thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven. Wow, that would be incredible. He was already there, but he heard a voice. Seal up the things spoken, 
do not write them. The angel lifted up his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever. Another reason to believe this is not Jesus. This is an angel. There would be no more delay. In other words, every week when we recite or read that the time is near, that is what it's talking about. The time is getting near. But in the days of the trumpet call in verse 7, it's to be sounded by the seventh angel. The mystery of God would be fulfilled. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets, that's the sweetness. But the bitterness is yet to come. This revelation, the book of Revelation, is a hard book by the fact that it has many terrifying scenes in it. Scenes that would really cause us to fear, but not in the godly fear, but in just human fear. Because we think that, whoa, how could our God be that way? How could he bring this upon all these people and thousands and millions of people? But he's instructed. Then the voice I heard before me spoke to me. Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel, standing on the land and on the sea. He said to me, take and eat it. Take and eat a scroll? Take and eat it. You know, John wasn't the only one that heard those words. Can you think of other people in the Bible? Ezekiel, okay, got it. Another one? Starts with J. Jeremiah. Both those prophets were told the same thing. To take the book and eat it. And what would be the result? Sweetness in your mouth and bitterness in your stomach. What does that mean? What is sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach? Well, it's a sugar-coated pill, a medicine. That's what he's talking about. No, I don't think so. There's something deeper than sugar-coating and a bitter pill. The Lord is talking here about some very deep stuff. Can you think of when you first believed, you received the Lord? Just review that in your mind for a second. What was that like for you? Yes, there were probably tears. But I can imagine that with those tears was great joy in coming to Jesus. That's how it was for me as a 12-year-old boy. I realized that I was a sinner and I needed a savior and I asked Jesus to come into my life and I meant it and I haven't forgotten that day to this day. It's been sweetness. But what about the bitterness? Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. You know, this is the grace of God, even in what the angel says to John. Here's a scroll. I want you to eat it. It's going to be bitter to your stomach. 
God is just really up front with this, isn't he? He really is. Because if you ever hear a message to call people to Jesus, it usually has to do with you need to repent. You need to consider your sins. You need to see that he is the one, the only one, that can work deeply in your life. And that is bitterness. That's the work of God. The first thing that his love reveals is how despicable you are. How bad you are. But you know, when you first taste that forgiveness and realizing Jesus Christ died for me, there's sweetness. There's sweetness in it. And you know what? That sweetness remains. I can still taste it to this day. The sweetness of the salvation of God. But what about this bitterness? Let's talk about it. But in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And that's how the angel told it to John. And I took this little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. What happened? Whoo! It was sweet as honey in my mouth. The Lord is so good. Immediately, as soon as we confess and we come to him, there's something sweet about that repentance. Receiving that acceptance from the Father, the righteous one. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. What does this mean? Well, folks, I could end the message right now, and I want you to go out and test and see what is the bitterness. Well, not quite. <laughs> Let me give you a hint of what I'm expecting to happen. I want you to go to your very best friend. And that friend, if they are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to speak to them when you first see them, whether it's this afternoon or at work or even over the internet. Share Jesus with them. Oh, my stomach aches. You know, it really does. It takes something to be able to share the gospel. We talk about the joy and we sang these songs. But the bitterness, particularly, I need to talk to my best friend about where he or she is going and what is happening in their life. How am I going to tell my best friend that? You know what I'm talking about? Or you might have to go to your mom and dad and say, Mom and dad, I want to share. You need Jesus. You're really in trouble. I love you, but I need to tell you, you are sinners. Whoa, my stomach aches. Just thinking about telling your parents that. Sweet in the mouth bitter in the stomach because the reality is we as believers have a commission we have a command 
from the one who loved us and gave his life for us that we need to do the same. We need to go out and begin telling others about Jesus Christ. It's not easy. You know what? It is harder for me to go out on Kichijoji Eki and, well, here, here, I don't believe in passing out tracts, by the way. I don't believe in littering the streets of Tokyo. If you go out with a, and I'm not really dissing or putting down passing out tracts, but I think that you need to develop a relationship with that person rather than, here's a tract, here's a tract, here's a tract, not caring a hoot about them. All you're caring about is, I gave away 50 tracts today on my way to work. Who's getting the glory for that? But when you sit down and get to know somebody, and then you begin to, this guy, I really like him. But I've got to tell him that he's a sinner and he needs Jesus. That's the bitterness. That's the rub in the gospel. But in receiving the whole gospel, we need to be careful that we're not just making it honey-coated, sugar-coated. Tell them the whole truth. Otherwise, they're not even half saved. We need to talk about sin. We need to talk about those things that need to be confessed. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we just get a person to come to church and we don't give them the whole gospel, we're doing them really an injustice. We're not being completely truthful with them. And they aren't really saved if they don't know that their sins are forgiven and washed away in the name of Jesus and confessing him as Savior and Lord. There's no easy way. And that is the challenge. This is what the angel shared with John. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. John was not a prophet, by the way. He was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. But prophecy these days in the church is getting to be too much of a thing that we think that we need in our life in order to be able to witness and to testify about Jesus. No, prophecy has to do with speaking the word of God. It's not something, oh, I have this word of prophecy. Tomorrow, you're going to be getting on a train and you'll be sitting next to a person with a turban on and you need to talk to them. I see that. That's, I'm sorry, I don't buy that. I have been in probably more charismatic meetings than any of you. And I consider myself charismatic in the fact that I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and I know it. You have received the Holy Spirit if you have believed in Jesus Christ. The problem is we need to open all of our life to him and allow him to come in and rule in our lives. 
And it may cost you a great deal to do that. Prophecy means forth-telling. Telling what's going to happen. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, you need him more than you've ever needed him. Our world is coming to an end. We need Jesus today. And we need to know that we are sinners and there is an accounting to be given and that there is a decision that needs to be made. That is the gospel. Now I've made it very, very hard for all of you, haven't I? That you need to go out and begin to share the gospel. This is a key passage in this book of Revelation, I believe. Without this, all of these things that we're going to be seeing in the next few weeks really don't mean that much. We have to nail it here. We need to get it in our understanding of where we are as a church and as a people of God. We have a responsibility. And it's sweet in our mouth, but bitter in our stomachs. We live with that. Sitting next to a guy on the train, and you're looking and he's doing some foolish, I don't know what it is, on his computer or his iPhone. And you see, well, it's not something I would do. In my stomach, I have this feeling, uh, let somebody else tell him about this. That's what it's about, folks. That's what the bitterness is. Get over it. Get over it. Because as you receive the gospel, it's a sweetness in your mouth and a bitterness. That point at which, let me just read this. Psalm 119, 52 to 54. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Sweetness. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Matthew 5, 11, 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we just ask that you take these words and allow us to understand the sweetness and the bitterness of the gospel. May we be doers of the word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.